No, she didn't do that. It's hard to be lonely on the front row. So anyway, uh, Judy and I both would appreciate your prayers and uh, Joe and Don as well. Uh, we're going to be teaching uh, through an 18-hour course. Each of us have six uh, classes to teach. And it's going to be on the, uh, God's provision in Christ Messiah. All that God has provided in his son, the Messiah who has come, and 18 lessons, and it's very thorough. And I was doing my part in preparation the other day, and I came across this truth um, because we sang about the lamb upon the throne. You know, Jesus is identified in scripture as the prophet, priest, and king. He has those roles throughout the scripture, beginning with, the, with uh, the Old Testament picture of the priesthood and how that Jesus has become our high priest. Out of the book of Hebrews, it talks a lot about that. The priest is one who represents uh, man to God and God to man. He's the high priest. He officiates over that, that approach to God in the sacrificial uh, system of the Old Testament. And Jesus has become our high priest. And he is a prophet because he is the word and he declares the word of God. Uh, he became flesh and he has revealed the Father to us. So he is very prophetic in his teaching and his nature. And he's also coming back as king, king and ruler over all the earth. So in that lesson, I've come to a, a part of it that my class that I have, I have two of those, and then I come to another one where it says that Jesus paid personally for my sin, mine. And yours. He paid the price. And what struck me about that, and I don't, I'm not going to preach this, but I think you need to catch a new vision of, of, of our Savior. As high, as high priest, the one who is in need of atonement, in need of a, a sin offering to cover their sin, they bring a, a lamb to be slaughtered, a lamb uh, to be slain. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus sets aside his high priest role and he steps into the role of the lamb that's going to be sacrificed for the sin. And it came to me that the lamb in the book of Revelation is appearing 31 different times in the book of Revelation. The lamb of God. He has taken our place. He not only orchestrates the event where the high priest comes and he says, bring your offering. And Jesus says, I will become the offering for the sin of this individual and the sin of the whole world. He is our Passover lamb. And I was struck by that, that Jesus has done all for us. All. He's paid it all. Everything is accomplished in Christ. And it's a wonderful uh, truth that we can walk in. And this morning, as we're now moving into some other things, he, Jesus was also a very amazing teacher. He was one who knew the word of God, heard the word of God. He said, the words that I give you, I heard my father saying. The things that I'm doing, I saw my father doing. But Jesus was a mighty teacher. And we're going to get into a little bit more to identify where we have been. So my question is, now as I'm switching gears here, is are you still reading your Bible? Now I say that because this is now the, the last day of October, the 31st. Tomorrow begins November 1st. Did you start out in January saying, God, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. How are you doing? Are you still reading the Bible, reading the Word of God every day? And not only reading it, are you studying the Bible? 
Are you studying the words of God? Old Testament, New Testament, are you reading and taking hold, listening to what God says to us? This is his word to us. And we've got to grab hold of that. Um, Hebrews, let's, let's look at a couple of verses. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We need a, the, I just want to remind you, stir you up in your thinking concerning this book. We have a lot of input into our minds by way of media or news or television or whatever is going around. But this is God's word, and God has something to say, and we need to grab hold of it. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents or attitudes of the heart. Nothing of all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the, hit, the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Most of you are familiar with those two verses, but I want to point out as we go along this morning everything's uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom. We must give account. There's coming a day that we're going to have to give account. There's things that Jesus is looking for, the Father is looking for, the Holy Spirit is looking for, that we're going to have to give account to. And he said the word of God is sharp that way. It will divide things. It will get to your heart. It will deal with you. Go to 2 Timothy. Just back a few pages toward the front of your Bible. Just five or six pages to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the Word of God has something to do. It's alive and active. We just read that. But it's useful to do things in my life and yours. This is, this is not a how-to book. This is the Word of God. But this book, His Word is alive. It's going to penetrate, and it's going to teach me some things. It's going to slap me around a little bit, rebuke me. Hey, stop doing that, Jim. Don't, don't go that way. Go this way. It's going to bring correction, course correction, my life. The Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's going to give me directions, correcting that direction in my life. And it will... Um, Bring me training in righteous living, being righteous in the righteousness of God. Now, every Sunday night, or I'm sorry, every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night, we study the Word of God. We present the Word of God to you. We read it. We look at it. We take it in to take it in heart. But can I just tell you, those two 45 minutes time periods is not enough. That's only an hour and a half of your 168-hour week. You need, and I need, to know God better. As his disciples, we must pursue it and press in to know him, even more so as we're walking in this day. You see, Mark 13, 21 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God is going to be, eternal word of God is going to go on forever. Now, we're talking about the teaching of Jesus. Go to the book of Luke chapter 4. We have been in chapter 12 for the last several weeks, and we're going to get there again this morning. But I want you to see that Jesus 
was an amazing teacher. So when you're listening to him, following him, his teaching is going to have an effect on your life. It's just not a story. It's not a, a, a fiction book. It's, it's, it's not just even a documentary. It's, it's the written word of God that we have to do and have to read. Now, Luke chapter 4 and verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. Now listen to their response. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. They were not just words that were sort of flowing out there in nice flowery words. These are words that had the authority of everything that the Father had out of his heart, out of heaven, out of God's word. It comes and Jesus spoke his word, read the word, taught them because it was something different. It had authority to it. His words continue. Listen, the Bible is still the number one uh, purchase book in all the world, in all history. It's still number one. People are still receiving the Word of God. Now, do they open it? I don't know. Do they read it? Probably not. But I'm telling you, the Bible is still throughout the... Jesus' words are still ringing throughout eternity, uh, history, and now on into eternity. So we need to study it. And as we study the Word of God, we learn the lessons He teaches, and we begin to walk as His servants in them, because uh, this is how we learn and grow. We're in the middle of one of his teachings. Go back, go to Luke chapter 10, because we've been in Luke chapter uh, 12. But if you have a red letter Bible, you will see that uh, there's a lot of red. These are, this is one of Jesus' teaching event, events. He's teaching. But I want to set this up contextually. Does everybody know what context means? Context is that you just can't pull something out. It has to be in the surrounding part of it to understand what was going on. It isn't just an isolated bit of information or action. There's things going around. And you have to read the context of the scripture. This is where we often get into trouble, by the way. We pull a scripture out and we say, hey, that's a great scripture, except it doesn't apply to you. It applies to Israel, applies to the people around. There's something else going on, and we grab it up, and we try to build things on it, and it isn't in its context. Okay, that's just a little lesson on how you study the Word of God. You have to get the context, where it was written, how it was written, who it was written, and then the application can be yours, possibly, but you need to understand. So I was looking at Luke chapter 12 again, uh, getting ready for today, and I thought, well, what context are we talking about here? Where is Jesus? What's he doing? And how does that relate to anything? Now, we're in chapter 10 because chapter 10 sort of lays it out in what was going on. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. So Jesus is in a home 
Martha and Mary, Lazarus, in Bethany. It's about a mile and three quarters outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's just a little bit of a walk, a mile and three quarters, to get there to Jerusalem. So it's very near uh, the center of Israel there in Jerusalem, and that's where Mary and Martha lived. And Jesus was there in their home, and he's having this conversation, and work needed to be done, but Jesus, Mary is sitting at his feet. Well, in that context, Jesus is staying there, and then look at verse 11. One day, Jesus was praying. So he's in the house. Now he's praying in a place. He just probably went out to pray to a certain place. And when he's finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And that's where we hear and see the, the Lord's, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so forth. So if you read on down, you come down to verse 14. In the same context, Bethany, there's this place that Jesus is praying. Verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. So in the midst of that, there's a crowd of people gathered, and there's a man who cannot uh, speak, and he was demon-possessed. And Jesus performed the miracle. The man was set free, made free. Go down to verse 29. There's conversation going on. You can see the red, but verse 29, it says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said. There's people gathering around, crowds increasing. Go down to verse 37. When Jesus had finished this lesson or speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So Jesus invited over, and he went in and reclined at the table. So now Jesus was Mary and Martha's house. He's teaching demon man, a demonic man was set free from his bodies by Satan and sin. And then it goes along, and uh, the crowds are gathering. People are gathering in this event. He goes to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and they come after him. They question him. Uh, the Pharisees were surprised about what Jesus was doing, so he was teaching them in that context. Verse 53, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Okay, we're in that place. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, this is chapter 12. So what I'm saying to you is in Jesus' ministry, things are happening. It's sort of a, a walking it out, sort of a daily walking. But Jesus is pouring out truth for his disciples because it's mentioned twice uh, to his disciples. 12.1, to his disciples. 12.22, Jesus said to his disciples. So he's got all these conversations going on. And Jesus, in the context of the crowds that are, they, they can't get, they're just trampling on each other. Do you see that crowd? They're trampling on each other. And Jesus has his disciples gathered. And he said, let me talk to you guys. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know. In the context of where we are, this crowd of thousands of people, many thousands, it says, gathered. And he said, first of all, I want to tell you, chapter 12, verse 22, we talked about this. He said, don't you worry about anything. You're all concerned about what's going on. Don't worry about what you shall eat or what you, you shall put on because your father knows you have need of all those things. So in the context, he's saying, listen, you can get all wrapped up in the other multitude of people, but I'm telling you, don't you worry about it. 
God has everything under control. Consider the flowers. Consider how they're dressed. Doesn't your father take care of them? What about a bird that falls? Doesn't he know that? How much more valuable are you? So they're listening to Jesus speak. And I can imagine they're just amazed because he gets down to verse 32. He said, now don't be afraid. Don't worry and don't be afraid. And we've talked about that. Don't be afraid. And then he takes another turn. Don't worry, don't be afraid, but disciples, you be dressed, ready, and have your lamps burning. You get dressed, be ready, so your lamps, be watchful. Last week we talked a little bit about that, and about, in the King James Version it says, have your loins girt about, be dressed, gather up all the loose ends. And we got that concept from the Passover when when God told the Israelites through Moses, he said, you gird up the loins, uh, gird up your cloak, grab it up, get all together, all those loose ends, and get ready. And Jesus had done that. Now, I want to focus on what he said in that teaching from verse 35 to 40. Because he said, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. To, he, he, truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner had, of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This past week in the PJ Connection, I talked to you about and wrote, if you happen to read it, about the matter of, the, of Christ's second coming. You know, 2 Timothy 4.8 says, those who love his appearing, a crown of righteousness waiting, there's going to be a reward. But it's the loving of his appearance, appearing. Be dressed, be ready. And notice this phrase. Please notice because I want you to focus on this phrase. It says, it will be good. In other words, this is going to be a good thing if you are ready, if you're watchful, if you're doing when the master comes. There's a whole matter. Look, notice the phrase. Look, look it down at verse 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. There's, there's something good about this. When he comes, look down at verse 38. Continue. That was, finds them watching. Verse 38. It will be good for those servants whose masters finds them ready, even if he comes at a, a middle of the night towards morning. And then, Verse, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 43. Go down to verse 43. We didn't read this, but it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing when he returns. So in the context of this, there's watching, ready, and doing when the master finds him. 
19 years ago, our first grandson, grandchild, we didn't know he was going to be a son yet, but uh, we heard the word that he was about to be born. Now, there's something, and all of you grandparents know this, it's, it's okay when your own kid is born. That's a good thing. I like that. But when the grandkids come, heaven opens. Or not, depending on your grandkid. But ours is good. <laughs> so. so we get the news. It, I think it was, it was on a Wednesday night. I know that. We had service, and immediately we heard from our son down in North Carolina. He's, it's, it, it's the baby's coming. The baby's coming. We hopped in the car, and cell phones were, mobile phones were just, in 20 years ago, were just coming out. I mean, they were there, but, you know. So we have contact. We're anticipating. We're connected to the, the birth of the child. We're monitoring the progress. How's it going? Nothing's happening yet, but we're ready. We're ready to go. It's going to happen. And we, uh, we, we prepared for it. We grabbed our bag. We were in the car. We're going down there. And we got there in time for his birth. It was a wonderful thing. They were anticipating our coming. We were looking forward to our coming. And we found him when we arrived. She held off until we got there. <laughs> and if you believe that, there's other things. That baby's, that baby's coming when that baby was going to come. There was an anticipation of looking for that. In any travel that you have with family, and we've experienced this, you watch the clock. They're coming. When are they going to come? They should be here about 3 o'clock. And so you're waiting, and you're watching. The clock seems to crawl. We're waiting. Are you coming? And with some of our family, uh, we know the route they're going to come. And we know how long it takes to get to this city and to this city. Where are you? Are you near, near Beckley? Are you, are you near Parkerstown? Uh, where are you? Where, where are you in the journey? And because we've done so many times, we even know the route by which they're coming. What mile marker on you? We can almost see that mile marker in our eyes. Why? We've been around. We've studied the route. We know the route. We're looking for the signs of their coming. Now, I think you're catching what I'm trying to get at. When you're looking for the master coming, you ought to know that the signs are there, that he's at this point. He's on the way. The Lord Jesus is on the way, people, and he'll arrive when the Father says, now go, because now's the time. But you see, he, Jesus is teaching his disciples, you be ready and watching. Not only in my plumbing days, but also my pastoral days, when I would get home, start to come home from work, uh, Judy would get the boys all excited about it, and I so appreciate her for doing that. And uh, because he said, your dad's coming home. Your dad's coming home. And I would drive in the driveway, and there's these three little boys with their faces smashed on the window. Daddy's here. And she would scream, your dad's home. And she, the, car door, the car would hardly stop. The door opens. I had three puppies. They were boys. Come and say, dad's home. It continued on through when we had grandkids, taking grand, care of the grandkids. Grandpa, grandpa, you're home. And I was so thankful for that because... It's nice to know when you come home that somebody's there watching for you. Rather than, honey, I'm home. Take out the trash. What? I thought I told you I came home. I know, you're here. You see, there is something about this scripture 
that gets stirred up in my heart concerning the one I love the most, and that's the Lord Jesus. That I anticipate his coming. I'm watching for his return. That there's something going on. There's, there's a joy. There's a completion when the two come together, back together. And there's so much about us, the, the watching and the waiting for the ones. But what about the one who's going to come and back? And then let me put it this way, because it says it is good when the master finds you. What about his side? What about our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, who's coming back for his bride? Do you not think he's looking forward to finding us? He knows where we are, but he's going to receive us to himself. I've said this before, and many of you know it, and, and I, I understand it completely, that when we talk about heaven, when we talk about leaving this earth, we often think about grandma or grandpa. We think, oh, I can't wait to get to see my spouse again. I can't wait to see my child again. I can't wait to see my best friend again, because I know they're in heaven. I want to be there. But what about seeing Jesus? The one who loved you and gave himself for I have this in my heart, my mind. I don't think I'm going to care about all that for a couple billion, zillion years because I'm going to be caught up to see him who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm going to fall at his feet and cry, holy. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. And I'm going to see loved ones. Sure we are. But what about this? Does he, is he anxiously waiting for you? Is it going to be good when he finds you waiting for his return? You see, there's things about the one who's coming that we have to understand. And I want to lift you out of our viewpoint of this scripture saying, what about all those things I need to do? I need to be ready. I need to be watching. I need, what about him? It said, it will be good when the master finds his servants, his disciples, his friends, watching, ready, and doing, ready for his return. I want to go through some verses with you, and I want to raise your eyes to see the Lord. Let's go, go back to the beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to take a look at God's heart as he looks to earth. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 12. Jesus is talking about, to Israel, about the land that's his. And he talked about the land that they're going to go to take possession of. It's a land that he has provided. It's, it's his land. Verse 12. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. You see, God says in his word, and Moses is writing it down, that God has a land that he's looking to. Why do we care about Israel in this house? It's because it's a land and it's a people that God has called his covenant land, his covenant people, and what is on his heart we want to have on our hearts. God cares about the land. His eyes are on it. And it'll be where Jesus returns to, by the way. When Jesus returns and is coming, it, it won't be Suffield. It'd be nice, but it's going to be in his land. 
You see, when we're anticipating his return, he's coming to his land. Eyes of the Lord on it. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 16. I'm going to go through several verses here very quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 16. King Asa, king of Judah, is in rule. And the, the seer, the prophet, came to him, verse 7, because you relied on king of Ar Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libya, Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on, on the Lord, he delivered them in your hand. For, now listen to this, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Whose hearts, and the prophet warns him, you've done a foolish thing here, but look at the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. From heaven's perspective, he's seeking hearts that are fully his. What does the master come? To see if it's ready when the master comes. He's looking for, go to the book of Ezekiel. Again, we're going, marching through the older covenant here. Go down to the book of Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22. The word of the Lord comes. In verse 30. He said, I look for someone. This is the word of the Lord. Through Ezekiel, he said, this is the word of the Lord. And this is what God says. I looked for somebody. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I didn't find anyone. I found no one. God says, I looked, I looked for people who would covenant partner with me, who would stand in the gap, who would cooperate with me. I'm looking for people who would move in for the protection of my covenant land, my, my heart. I'm looking for people. Let's go to the Gospel of John in your New Testament. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In verse 23. Jesus is talking to a woman, Samaritan woman at the well. You remember this story? Verse 21, a woman replied, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. Here again, it is good when the master comes and finds. He is seeking for those who would worship him. I believe that the Father, and I pray, Lord, may our worship be pleasing to you because he's looking for a people, he's looking for a person, a lady, a man, a child, who will worship him in the spirit and the truth because that's what he delights in. He's looking for that. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, back to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In verse 10. 
the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Heaven's viewpoint is that the Father was sent and Jesus came for God so the Lord, he gave his only begotten Son. Why? Because there was a lost people, a people who needed life, a people who needed salvation, and he was seeking those people. The Father comes to seek. It is good when the Father comes and finds the servants doing it. But he said, there's lost. I'm looking for the lost. And now turn back to Luke 12. Luke 12. Let me read it again. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master, who has been looking and seeking and coming, and his eyes are on it, he finds them watching when he comes. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready no matter how he comes. Verse 40, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. God is looking for a people who are not wrapped up in this world or so filled with worry and fear. He's already, Jesus already said it. He's looking for people who are ready and they don't have an attitude that his return is going to be an intrusion upon their life. It's something that they're looking for his coming. We're anticipating. We've noticed this with our grandchildren these last number of years, that we have them, they're playing games, they're doing puzzles, they're doing a movie, they're doing whatever, and then mom and dad come. Invariably, they say, they're not waiting at the door for mom and dad to come. They say, we're not ready. I got to finish my game. I got to finish my puzzle. Oh, mom, I can't leave. Now there's a movie going on. We, not now. Just go away. Come back when we're done with this stuff. Church, I'm afraid that many are telling the Lord, come back at a later time. We're not ready. We've got too many things to do. Too many things we want to do. Too many things we're involved in. But he's looking for people who are ready when he comes. I'm ready. Now occasionally we'll have that one child who will have their bags packed and ready to go. It's at the door. Mom comes in. Good, Mom. We're leaving Grandpa. He's crazy. Come on. We want to get out of here. Can we go home now, please? Can we just leave? Occasionally we'll have one of those. But do you look around you and want to hold on to this world? I don't. I'm looking around and say, Jesus, come. Even so, come quickly, Lord. I want, to I want to be ready watching. Legend has it that the devout Francis of Assisi was approached one afternoon while he was gardening. He was asked, Francis, if you knew that Christ was coming this very hour for your soul, what would you do? At this, Francis paused from his work, looked up at the person who asked the question and replied, I'd finish hoeing this row in my garden. Well, what would you do if this very, I'd finish. Why? Because I live ready. If he comes, I'm ready to go. My eyes are not here. I'm ready to go. How do we live ready? Real quickly, three things. 
two things really. Jesus was very clear to his disciples. Verse 31, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. These things will be given to you. Get your heart right seeking the right things. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Get your treasure in the right place. Have a principled self-denial. Reject the world, its priorities, and its values. Don't live me first. Seek the master's will. Seek the Lord's will. That's how we live ready. Number two, live knowing that Jesus is watching, looking, and coming. He's ready to come. He's looking for us. Have that eternal perspective. The master is going to return. So will the Son of Man return. Get ready. He's going to come. Hagar, in the Old Testament, Genesis 16, 13, had an amazing revelation when, he, when she called Jehovah God. She said, El Roy, the God who sees me. He sees me. He is watching for me. Am I watching for him? J.C. Rao gave this amazing quote. He said, I, I pity the man who never thinks of heaven. It's a bad place to be if you never think of heaven. Never think of the master's return. Final verse, Titus chapter 2. The book of Titus chapter 2. We're talking about being rest, dressed and ready. Allowing the Lord to, to come and looking for his return. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all peoples. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We say no to what this world offers because we are eagerly awaiting the blessed hope of his return. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage, rebuke with love authority. Don't let anyone despise the word you're giving. Don't let them have to do that. Why? Because this is imperative to be a people who are eager to do his will. Are you reading the word? Are you looking forward? Are you seeing him? What, what are the signposts of his coming? Because believe me, he's coming soon. Is it your desire, your heart's desire to lay down everything and say, Lord, here I am? Would you make that a, a, a renewed thing this morning as you wait for his return? Worship team, if you would come as we stand before the Lord. Father, right now I pray that you would touch our hearts. That, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see you. May we lift up our, our watching eyes, our readiness, what we're doing for the kingdom of God's sake. Lord, I pray for every person because, Lord, you care about where we are. You know every difficulty, every challenge, every marriage, every relationship, every job-related thing. You know all that, Lord. But even in the midst of that, you say, turn your eyes to me. Look for my return. I am coming. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, come. We want to be ready when you return. 
So, Lord, we make it our prayer this morning for this time in your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my desire.